Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to finish up today Uval Etzion, which we've been talking about for weeks, and then there, we're going to have a break for three weeks. I'm on break, so we will not meet the last two weeks of June and the first week of July, and we'll resume July 12th. And July 12th, hopefully, we'll start with Alenu, because I think we'll finish Uval Etzion today. And I have to be relatively short today. I have a hard stop time at about 8.40. Um, so we're on Uval Etzion, and we're, doing, we're dealing with miscellaneous. There were some miscellaneous questions left over. So in the Slim Shalom, page 8081, in the complete Sim Shalom, 156 to 157, and we've been talking about Uval Etzion for several weeks, and... Uh, we talked about, uh, anyone remember what are the two main themes of Uvalitzion that get connected with each other? Just for review for those who need the review. Anyone? Two main themes. Study of Torah. Yes. What will the study of Torah do, Michael? The Messiah. The Messiah. Help, help bring the Messiah, right. And we'll study Torah in the world to come. And we'll talk about the world to come, actually, a little bit later this morning. Okay, so long, complicated prayer, which we talked about as probably was either after the morning Torah study or an opportunity for morning Torah study. All that's left of the Torah study is the vestige of those two verses from Yeshayahu, Isaiah at the beginning, and then the verses of um, of the Kedusha. And then afterwards, we have basically the two themes of, and so we studied Torah and Mashiach will come, and we will study Torah, and that'll help bring Mashiach, and we'll study Torah forever. So, um, odds and ends. First of all, um, there's the issue of why we don't say Uvalitzion when. What morning do we skip Uvalitzion? <laughs> Anyone? What day of the week do we skip Uvalitzion in the morning? Come on, there's a gimme. Hi. Shabbat. And when do we say it at all on Shabbat? Do we skip it entirely on Shabbat? On uh, Mincha, we say it. Aha. So Shabbos, we don't say it in the morning. We say it in Mincha. Why don't we say it in the morning? And why do we say it in Mincha? Because the rest of the week, we don't say it in Mincha. So the answer that's generally given is because during the week, there's only time for this little lesson, little bit of Torah study. And then everyone has to rush off to work for the rest of the day and won't have time to study Torah. We say the prayer then on Shabbat, which is a day of non-work and spiritual leisure or leisurely spiritual activities, which includes Torah study. We're able to study Torah all day Shabbos. So we haven't really, I'm going to put it in air quotes, finished our studying in the morning because we're going to study Torah. We have time the rest of the day. By the late afternoon, when we're saying Mincha, we have Mincha, Sudash Lishi, right? And Mariv, we have finished our Torah study for the day, and that's why Uvalitzion is deferred, as it were, to the end of the afternoon in Mencha on Shabbat. That is the general explanation that's given for why we don't say Uvalitzion in the morning and why we do say it in the afternoon on Shabbat. Question or comment about that before I go on? All right, second odds and ends question was that long second line that we skip in the house of mourning. 
Ruchi asher alecha, utorai asher samti beficha, lo yamushu mi picha, o mi pizaracha, o mi pizaracha, amar adonai, meatavi adolam, which is from Isaiah, which is a long line, but it's actually only one verse, okay? This brit, my ruach, my spirit, which will never depart from your mouth, uh, never depart from your mouth, the mouths of your children, 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 forever and ever and ever, which we said, the davar, right, is the reference to the Torah, God's word, right? So you and your children and your children's children will never stop studying Torah. Why do we skip that line in the house of mourning? So I did some research on that, and it turns out, like many minhagim, there are different opinions, and there are some medieval halachic authorities and modern authorities who are quite clear that you should not skip that verse at all. Um, although there is a custom to skip it. It actually seemed to me from the halacha that the dominant opinion of the um, halachic decisors is that you don't skip it. So it's interesting to me that it's come to be seen as sort of the normative opinion that you do skip it, which is what we're all used to. And the, what is debated about why you skip it or why you don't skip it is, um, since this line is about Torah study, may God's davar or word always be in your mouth, in the mouth of your children and your children's children forever and ever and ever. What does a mourner not do? Study. Torah. Mourner is forbidden. So Hilchot Avelut, the laws of mourning, are meant to be a... um well, I was going to say it both ways, uh, are meant to be a mimic of the laws of Tisha B'Av, although maybe it's the other way around. The laws of Tisha B'Av are meant to mimic the laws of mourning. And on Tisha B'Av and for a mourner, a mourner does n- is not supposed to study Torah during Shiva, uh, except for um, like the book of Job or the laws of mourning, right? Torah study is seen to be something joyful, Mourners aren't supposed to do things during Shiva that are joyful. Therefore, they're not supposed to engage in conventional Torah study in the house of mourning. That's actually, that's the commonly accepted halacha. Um, and so the reason behind the custom to skip this line is we're in the Shiva home. We're in the house of mourning where the mourner does not study Torah. Therefore, we skip the line that says you will study Torah forever and ever and ever. The counter argument that's given in the halachic sources is, hey, it's only forbidden for the mourner to study Torah. Everyone else isn't forbidden to study Torah. So why should everyone else in the Shiva home say, uh, why should everyone else in the Shiva home omit the line that says, we hope we study Torah forever? Now, some of the customs in the Shiva home and other grieving customs are because of a I'm going to call it a social and psychological principle, which is called loeg larash, which means mocking a poor man, which means kicking a person. We call it in English, literally means mocking a poor man, loeg larash. Um, Vera, do you know off the top of your head where that saying comes from, loeg larash? Is it, is it from Proverbs, Michele, or I don't know where it's from. I believe it comes from Michelet. Okay. 
If you could, if you could research that between now and I July, will. I will. And tell us the pasuk. I could look it up also, but you know, it's in Hebrew idiom, so I'm I'm assigning That's it true. to you. Thank you. Okay, so loegrarash, which means mocking a poor man, which in English we say kicking a person when they're down, adding insult to injury. That's a better phrase. Adding insult to injury. Don't add insult to injury. So there's certain mean hagim in the shiva home, like for example, uh. The, we skip Hallel, although there's again debate about the Minhag about whether or not we skip Hallel in the Shiva home, because we say Lo Hametim Yahalleluyah in Hallel, the dead do not praise the God, uh, praise God. And we're kind of rubbing it in the face of the mourner who's grieving someone who's dead, right? So you could say, even though the rest of us in a Shiva home are allowed, this is very relevant since Heather is sitting Shiva, um, for her father, Zichro Livracha, you could say that um, even though the rest of us in the Shiva home are not forbidden from Torah study, only the person sitting Shiva is forbidden from Torah study, you could say it's Loeg Larash, right? Mocking a poor man, meaning adding insult to injury went to say in the Shiva home, and the rest of us will study Torah all the time, even though you're not allowed to have the joy of Torah study this week, you poor mourner, you. So that could be kind of a psychological, emotional reason why you skip it, even though we're allowed to study Torah. So that's what's behind that. And it's quite interesting to me that the sources, I just thought like, oh, that's the rule. But as with many Min Hagim, there are conflicting opinions going all the way back to the Middle Ages. Uh, pause. I will pause for question, comment. By the way, you should ask, you know, as you go to different, this is the sort of thing like, oh, I'll ask Rabbi Konevsky, and when I bump into my local uh, Rabbi Konevsky, my, mo- my my local modern Orthodox rabbi, when I bump into my local Chabad rabbi, I'll ask my local Chabad rabbi, because, you know, sometimes you find out that different streams of Judaism actually follow a different minhag, the thing that that you thought was universal. So when I bump into those two, I will ask them that question. I'm curious to know about those other streams of Judaism. Uh, any other thoughts or comments about that line? Okay. It would just seem, uh, Avi, uh-huh. it would just seem like the, that would be the the real, that would be a sign of humility, as yes. you were explaining, that, that, that it would be natural to avoid saying that part in the house out of, uh, also out of humility for, after, out of acting in a humble fashion. Humility towards? Toward the just, mourner. Towards the mourner. Correct. Right. So it's, it's, you don't rub their face in it. I'm going to go out and study Torah the rest of the day today. You have to sit home here on the floor. Right. Okay. Um, finally, uh, the last odd and end was this question of the next to last line. Bitchu badonai adei ad ki biyah adonai tsur olamim. Trust God forever. Because in God is usually Tsur Olamim is a noun, which is an epithet of God, the rock of ages. Um, uh, and so here it's, it, it's, it's because in God is true security. It's kind of the sense of it. Um, and the question was, why do we refer to God here as Biyah Hashem? Alan B, I believe that was that your question? Yes. What a good question that is. So this takes us to the Talmud, Tractate Menachot, page 29b. Ooh. 
I will now attempt to share my screen. I'm sharing my screen. Do you see that? Yeah. Say, someone say yes. 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 Thank, thank you. Okay. Tractate Menachem 29b. There's a discussion about the letters. First, we have the story about Rabbi, the famous story about Rabbi Akiva. Uh, no, Moses sees God in heaven putting the crowns on the Torah. And he says, why are you putting the crowns? Someday there's going to be a man who's going to come along named Rabbi Akiva, who's going to make drashas about the crowns. So that midrash, I'm sure many of you know. And then there's various other midrashim in this section of Gemara about the letters, the shape of the letters, and what do they look like, okay? And you can look at this at home through safaria.org, Talmud, Tractate Menacho 29b. So you can read this more at your leisure. Okay, and I'm right up to this line. Oop. The second line, and they would suspend the, I'm going to try to get it right. Can I move up? Get one, keep moving it. And it goes too long. All right. Everyone sees my cursor there, right? And, okay. And they would suspend the left letter of the left leg of the letter hay, meaning, oh, isn't that interesting? The letter hay is actually made of two parts as opposed to the other letters, which are one part. As Rabbi Yehuda Nasia asked Rabbi Ami, now we're used to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He's the, the, the guy who edited the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya is his, I think, grandson who lived two generations later in the late 200s. It's not Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi who edited the Mishnah. So Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya, he was the Nasi, the, the, um, patriarch, meaning the political leader of the Jews in Eretz Israel but he has a different name to distinguish him from, from his grandfather. And I think it's the grandson, not the great-grandson. Um, asked Rabbi Ami, what is the meaning of that which is written? Okay, what does that mean? Rabbi Ami said to him, anyone who puts their trust in the Holy One, blessed be he, will have God as his refuge in this world and in the world to come. So olamim, plural worlds, meaning if you trust God, God will be your refuge in this world and in the world to come. Now that doesn't address the yah, we'll get to that, but that addresses olamim, right? Which is not a question that Alan asked. Uh, why do we have worlds? Okay, but now Rabbi Yehuda says to him, well, I'm not asking about olamim. What I'm asking about is why it says biyah, and not just Yah, which is still not exactly Alan's question. Answer, uh, uh, it says Rav Ashi. I think that's a typo. It should be Rabbi Ami um, answered. As Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli taught the verse, Ki Biyah Hashem Tzur Olamim. Okay, I'm going to read a little in Hebrew. Elu shnei olamot shebaraha kadosh baruchu echad behev echad beyud. This refers to the two worlds, two worlds that God created. God created one word with the letter hey and one word with the letter yud. The by the way, we're used to stuff like this from the Zohar, right? You know, this kind of mystical, the the power of the universe being created through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is not typical Talmud stuff, all right? And even if I said to you, what does that mean exactly? God created the world with the letter hey, 
or God created the world with the letter Yud. That would be a, a, probably a long conversation that I wouldn't understand. So we're going to skip that conversation. But two worlds, one was created with hay, one was ready. So Biyah means God created the worlds, which means this world and the world to come, with Yah, with Yud and with hay. So his question is, these are the two worlds which God created, one with the hay and one with the yud. The yodea im haolam haba biyud, veolam im haolam yud, But I don't know which, by means of which letter God created this world and which, by which means of which letter God created the world to come. Is the hay the creative, uh, uh, path through for this world or, and the yud for the world to come or vice versa? Everyone get the question? Okay. Whatever that means to create the world with Yud or with Hay, which I'm not a mystic, so <laughs> not qualified to address it. Answer. Okay. Keshehu Omer, a different Midrash, when it says in Genesis, Ela told Behi Baram. These are the, uh, generations of heaven and the earth when they were created. Altikre Behi Baram when they were created, which is a nifal, an unusual Hebrew construction, Ella behe bira'am, right? Everyone get that? Behe bar'am, behe bira'am. God created them with the hay. Have omer, ha'olam ha'zeh behe, ve'olam ha'babiyud, because this is talking about the creation of the earth in Genesis, the earth that we live in. That means that this world was created by means of the letter hay, and the world to come was created by means of the letter yud. Why is this world created with the hay? Okay, so now you told me which is which, okay? But the Gemara says, okay, why? Why is this world created with the hay? It's like a portico. It's some sort of Roman walkthrough area that everyone who wants to leave it can leave. And this refers to going astray, being lead, being led astray by the Eitzah Hara and doing evil. Okay. So the hay, imagine the bottom of the hay is like a corridor. All right. And if you want, you can walk straight ahead. If you want, you can leave or maybe the side. The side is open. You want to leave? You can leave. Okay. You want to do evil? You can do evil. Uh, no, I take it back. It's not the side. You'd go out the bottom. You want to leave? You want to go out the bottom? Unlike a samach, which is closed at the bottom, or mem, which is closed at the bottom, you want to leave? You can go out. You can do evil. But what is it possible to do if you can do evil? What do you think? If you can do evil, you can do... Good. Teshuva, right? So teshuva means coming back around through where? The side. Why is this leg hung, hung, right? That if you want to do tshuva, you can come back in. So you come back in around through the side. Um, by the way, you, and then, um, you might say, uh, there's another discussion about why don't you go back in the same entrance? Meaning why doesn't a hay look like a chet? Why do they have to provide a side door for you to come in? But we're going to skip that part of it. Okay. Cause I want to come to the world to come. Okay, so in this world, this world's created with hay, based on a midrash from Breshit. Why is it created with hay? 
because, you know, you want to leave the hay, you want to leave the righteous path, you can do so, but you can always do tshuva, you can come back in. Why is the world to come created with Yud? Because there, Yud is which letter quantitatively? Not quantitatively, size-wise, spatially, the smallest letter. Why? Because the it's only a smallish percentage of people who are righteous, right? Which would you like to be, right? What's implied in this? Where? Which would you like to be? And the vast majority of empty space are the people who are not righteous, or you want to be with the righteous in the world to come. You would like to crowd, you, we all would like to crowd into that yud, correct? So the yud is small because, you know, not that many people are righteous and go, get to go to the world to come. Umitne ma kafuf rosho, but why is its head bent over? Why isn't it just a dot? Why is it like a little dot and a turn? Um, because the righteous there are humble, they droop their heads. Why do they droop their heads? Because one is not like the other. When you go to Olam Haba, if you're righteous, and you were righteous because you studied a huge amount of Torah, you're going to encounter someone else in the Olam Haba who is righteous because they spent all their days feeding the homeless, and you'll meet someone else who is righteous because... They spent all their days uh, collecting and distributing wedding dresses for poor brides. And you'll meet someone else there who is homeless because they worked all the time in a soup kitchen. And you're going to say like, oh, these other people, they are so much more righteous than I am. And I didn't do what they did. So the righteous in Olam Haba are humbled. Humble. Right. They're humbled by each other and they're humble. I'm going to stop the sharing. So let's take it back to this Pasuk. So this is why we have the Gemaras, the Talmuds, very imaginative drash. Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya asked Rabbi Ami in the late 200s of the common era. Why does it say God created the worlds with Yah? Answer, there are two worlds and they're created with Yud and He, right? Then the Gemara says, but I don't know which is Yud and which is He. Answer, Another midrash, behi bar'am, behei bra'am. God created this world with hay. By the way, why is this world created with hay? Because some people can leave the righteous path, but they can always do tshuva and come back in. Why is that mean by process of elimination? That means the world to come is created with yud. Why is it with the smallest letter? Because the world to come is the narrowest, because because not everyone is tzaddikim. Only the tzaddikim get to go there. The, again, implied in all this is, okay, I want to I want to get to go to the world to come. I'd better be one of the tzaddikim. But still, why is the yud, the top of it, turned and bent over? Because the tzaddikim, the righteous in the world to come, are all humbled because they hear of each other's good deeds and they think, wow, that other person, she's more righteous than I am. Okay. Oh, or if I may quote from another Tradition. Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I think that's the idea behind that Yud of Olam Haba thing. It's small and I want to be counted among them. All right. So I think on that note, we will end our study of, that's a good note upon which to, uh, end our study of Uvalitzion. No uh, pun intended, Avi. No yes. pun intended. Yes. What? A good note? What? Good note. Correct. A good note. Well, good correct. Note. When the, when the saints go marching in, the right, 
And of course, the saints means the, the righteous, right? Um, so when the tzaddikim are, are in the, all crowded together in that little point of Yod and Olam Haba, we would all like to be among them. Uh, we'll now take three weeks off from Temple Beth Am Sidur class. We will resume on July 12th, where we will just spend several weeks on the Alenu. So everyone, be Torah, stay healthy, and uh, we should all strive to be among the tzaddikim. Amen. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.